0: Portation, transformation and exploration. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never ever read a Marvel comic before in their life watches a Marvel movie. And then Quiz is a second comedian. This one is a Marvel expert. This one was taught to read using Marvel Comics. It's the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience here in 2024. My name is Rob Halden. I am one of your hosts. I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. I'm also a Marvel expert. I'm the uh, man in the chair to field all the questions. And I'm joined as ever on this journey. It's his journey. He's a very ignorant boy. The years tick by. He is just as ignorant as he was when it all started. It's Mr. Will Preston.
1: I feel like I'm being wheeled out in some kind of caged carriage, like a circus sideshow, and go, look at the ignorant boy. <laughs> look he retains at the boy
0: what, a, we are... what a stupid man he is. <laughs> That's why we've got him here, folks. We are kicking <laughs> off 2024 with. The Fantastic Four. Although it's not the Fantastic Four, it's Fantastic 4 ic 4 Or is, uh, after seeing this film for the first time, the, eh, four. <laughs> the 2015 Fantastic Four reboot... Um, offering, leavings, whatever you want to call it um, Coming up on the show we're going to go behind the scenes On the making of what is maybe the most maligned and troubled Marvel movie in history <laughs> There's so much going on with there The reshoots, the, the combative back and forths The firings, the hirings We'll also go behind the page on the history of the Fantastic Four, the very first Marvel comic in the Marvel characters ever, the mm. history of how the Marvel Universe really began. Plus, we'll take you away from Earth-616, the regular Marvel Universe, to explore... The ultimate Marvel universe, the dark world that this movie is really based on. We'll dive into the powers of Reed Richards, the disturbing backstory between Reed and Sue. All that one's not pleasant. The animosity at the heart of the Fantastic Four, the worst thing Doctor Doom has ever done. And we'll find out who is the real villain behind the Fantastic Four. It's all to come. You don't want to miss a second of this one. Happy New Year. Well, welcome to 2024. Hello. Oh, God, I, I burped a bit there. Hello. Yes. Oh uh, the first d- thing you do in 2024 is burping to the microphone. I, I think great. that's the f- After first a good
1: start. That's, that's the first thing everyone does in the new year because they're <laughs> all drinking. That's how
0: it works. Hello. Yes, it's great to be here. We've got. Um, We had some nice time off in December, didn't we? We always take a little bit in December and put out some uh, cool bonus things for everybody on the channel. And we hope you enjoyed things like our Amalgam Comics bonus episode we released and the live show from Wolverhampton. That was really fun. I listened to that over the Christmas break because we put that out on Christmas Day, the live show from uh, Wolverhampton last year. That was a great fun experience going up and doing that. Um, And it was nice to revisit that, Mm, the the what-if Um, story as a new season of what if releases the happenstance it's almost as if we plan things folks and speaking of planning things it's planning things okay folks you want to get ready for what we've got in store for you in 2024 um i mean big wonderful meaty fantastic things will i I, i've told you the plan but you're you forget things so maybe some (laughs) of these you're going to be rehearing for the first time i don't know we'll see how to go for it um Deadpool 3 is crashing into the MCU <laughs> And bringing with it Jennifer Garner And so <laughs> this podcast is going to do an extensive deep dive Into what is maybe the worst Marvel movie of all time We're going to do Elektra in 2024 I know Will can't wait for that
1: I, I She was fine I'm fine to stare uh, at Jennifer Garner.
0: Uh, Venom 3 is hitting our screens, Ooh. which gives me and Will the perfect reason to deep dive the very first on screen appearance of the black costume and Venom, the amazing three part Venom saga from the 90s animated Spider Man series. Can't wait for that one. Ooh, um, yes. Across the Spider-Verse became quickly became one of the greatest Marvel movies of all time last year so we're going to give it the MVM treatment in 2024 oh, deep dive wait. into Miles and Gwen and Miguel Spider-Man 2099 um, not I mean in a matter of days Daredevil and Wilson Fisk are back in the MCU in Echo so we're going to be taking a uh, special look at that new series and the murky underbelly of Marvel um Faster, Stronger, Higher, baby. In 2024, it's finally time on our MCU journey for us to tackle Carol Danvers, the Kree, and Captain Marvel. That's going to be a massive one. Um, Some incredible comic book Marvel history and classic stories to dive into there. We're going to be exploring an untouched corner of the Marvel multiverse. Hello. And looking at Marvel's purchase of Malibu comics in the 90s the characters, the universe they inherited with that purchase, the crossovers they did, and the Saturday morning cartoon series that Malibu Comics had when Marvel purchased it, Ultra Force. Um, (laughs) I don't think anyone was expecting us to pull that one out. We've been remastering Phase 1. Me and Will realised that when we first started this podcast four years ago, we yeah. didn't know what we were doing, nope. and we bashed through all of phase one in a in a week. Bomb, 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 bomb! Recorded all these, don't know what we're doing, and we didn't give any of them a proper deep dive and a proper a proper good going over like we do now. So, in remastering phase one last year. We're carrying on with it in 2024. We're going to be bringing you remastered versions of Thor, Captain America and of course the Avengers. With tons more history, tons more trivia than they than those old episodes have ever had. Plus all the behind the scenes section, the behind the page section. Those are big, fantastic episodes we're bringing to you. And of course, after four years, we have finally arrived at the biggest Marvel movie of all time in 2024. Will we're finally gonna be tackling Endgame. Yes. Do you feel like we've set up a wonderful table this year?
1: I think I think this is a a feast of ignorance for me to not <laughs> listen to because I won't be taking anything, mate. No, you know, it is a fantastic feast, mate. You've really you've really outdone yourself. You've got all the trimmings. All Which the bouncing,
0: we're bouncing around all kinds of wonderful projects and yeah. Marvel movies and TV shows and cartoons and things to, to bring you the full Marvel story this year. Um, <clears throat> but there's something that also it's going to happen this year, the podcast is going to change a little bit, and we want to be upfront with you um, about that. This podcast, these episodes, uh, we're long form, you know that, because you listen to a very long podcast every week. mm um, it takes an awful lot of work um, from, for, from me and Will to put this together And up to this point it's been entirely um, possible through the Patreon that we run And we've got some amazing people on Patreon that support us every month um, In exchange they get cool cool content, cool bonus content, bonus episodes and everything But it's entirely their um, pledges and their contributions towards Marvel versus Marvel That allow me and Will to take... So much time out of our schedules to do this. This is not a job. This is uh, something we 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 try and do on the side. But it takes because of the show that we want to bring to you that you guys love. Um, the the length and the depth of it. It takes so much time and uh, and work. Um, <clears throat> that we do need those donations to those pledges really to keep us going. Now. We've gone through multiple wars since this podcast started. <laughs> the price of everything has gone up. Everyone is feeling the pinch, and we know that. And if we didn't know that, we'd be able to see it because the pledges on Patreon have dipped down. Mm. And every time they dip down, will it's never... we Patreon asks everyone an exit survey. Why are you leaving? Is it because of this, 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 this? Why do you hate us? Every single one of them every single one of them writes in and says it's it's entirely to do with my financial situation my financial situation has changed the cost of my heating has gone up my rent has gone up my mm. car insurance has gone up that's the reason it's not because they don't love what we do and we understand that pinch that everyone is experiencing but the 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 consequence of that is that this podcast is struggling to stay Above water And to justify the time it takes Me and Will um, To to make it and create it We're going to try and plug the hole this year By investigating Adverts And having adverts on the show If it's good
1: enough for Amazon Prime It's good enough for us
0: (laughs) Yeah, We've done uh, sponsorships in the past But those have been fleeting deals We're going to Look to pursue adverts coming in And sometimes that's going to be intrusive Sometimes it's gonna disrupt what we say or how we go about doing it. We're not quite sure the whole process of what we're gonna look into just yet. Um, but we're being upfront with you guys. It's literally trying to plug the 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 little hole that's a, that's come about recently in our Patreon support, mm-hmm. um, because everyone's feeling the pinch. We understand why people, um, you know, have to prioritize their heating and buying eggs over. Um, the podcast So if we can go and get some money from some uh, Big companies instead of you guys We're going to try that It is going to change the way the podcast sounds And you should be prepared for that You should remember though That all our new episodes will be Ad free on Patreon So if you don't like adverts and if you don't feel you can hit that skip button, that 10-second, 15-second skip button, you can head to patreon.com slash Marvel, And if you sign up for the tier where you get early access to every episode, all those will be ad-free on Patreon. So that's a way that you can get around it. You can say to yourself, man, I hate adverts. Maybe I'm going to give the boys, you know, five (laughs) quid a month. Five quid a month—it's barely a Starbucks coffee—and uh, get myself uh, ad-free editions of Marvel vs. Marvel. That's what we're letting you know about. That's what's going to be happening. We're just going to—we um, don't want to surprise anyone with it. And 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 suddenly you've got a a show that sounds different. Um, adverts are unfortunately coming this year, but there are ways around it: the skip button and Patreon.com/slash Marvel vs. Marvel to get hold of ad-free versions. Marvel versus Marvel is the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience. We've got me sat here, aged and decrepit, weaned on Marvel <laughs> like it was mother's milk. And so I come to these projects, these movies and these TV shows with a lot of like inherent knowledge and, and, and kind of like, oh, it's that character, oh, and they're going to do this, and oh, I know the story. And I have a different uh, kind of uh, appreciation and view of it than the regular general public represented by John Q, public himself, mr will preston imagine um, me representing the average person <laughs> no i understand that the average person the average voter we all know very ignorant very sloppy knows virtually nothing about the world around them and the things that the, the that's going on okay, and that's now you're really just insulting me <laughs> a mind full of bog and swamp <laughs> <laughs> a dilapidated brain. Come on, just get it all out. Get it all out. <laughs> the mind of a muggle, which is what Will Preston represents. The the yin to my yang, the other side of the of the coin, the man that knows nothing about Marvel. <clears throat> and that's what I wanna I wanna get some uh chopsticks and go picking around in that brain. Will two thousand fifteen this movie comes out? Mm. Have you seen the other Fantastic Four movies, or did you only watch them for our podcast?
1: I uh, only watched them for the podcast. I think I caught a bit of the uh, second, you know, the Rise of the Silver Surfer. Uh, on TV on, or something. Yeah, yeah, on TV. But I was like, I I, I had no real interest in seeing them. I, I wasn't a big Fantastic Four fan. I thought back then it was a bit... I don't, know, I don't want to say silly, but you know what I mean yeah, cuz a bit
0: old-fashioned.
1: Yeah, cuz I was in, around that time I was uh, really into
0: Batman. Like the everybody first, else. The first of season was. folks, you can take your shots now if you're playing the drinking game. Well, right, uh, me
1: mentioning Batman that you're really into Batman. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love I love I love Batman. But yeah, but <coughs> you know, we're talking the mid to late noughties when uh The Dark Knight uh series sure. was was there and that, and that was you know, the superhero thing at so, the time.
0: 2015, when mm. this movie comes out, your Fantastic Four kind of exposure is you've mentioned that you saw an old, you remember an old cartoon. I remember it back in the day. Yes, the one, is it one with Herbie? Isn't it the the robot and stuff? Oh, the Hanna Barbera cartoon.
1: Yeah, the Hanna Barbera cartoon. That's the one I watched as a kid. I didn't watch. Which the, is very camp. It's incredibly camp. I remember it being yeah. very camp. Uh, but I didn't see the '90s one until we did the podcast yeah. with its uh, so-
0: weirdness. <coughs> So going into 2015, Mm. excuse my coughing, going into 2015, your your, your real only view of the Fantastic Four is the Camp Hanna-Barbera cartoon from the 1960s. Pretty much. I mean, uh,
1: I I was aware of them, like, you know, I knew they were a comic book thing and whatnot, but that's pretty
0: much it. So did you have any excitement level? Were you interested in this movie? Did you see the trailers? Like, what, what was your kind of perspective as this was coming out? It's saw, very, very dark in its poster and the trailers and everything. Well, when it, when it was coming out, um,
1: I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, that looks interesting. You know, oh, okay. it didn't excite me, but I remember people at the time saying, oh, apparently they're going to like <clears throat> lean into Cronenberg-esque body horror uh, oh, around right. transformations. I was like, oh, okay. I like that because with a uh, superhero origin stories that we've seen a lot like Spider-Man and whatnot, like there's never been a horrific kind of uh, origin story. Like, like there wouldn't be. Yeah. They, you know, <laughs> Why would like, there be? Because your body's changing. If you were, if, it's if a you superhero became story. thing, if you <laughs> became thing, it would be like, Oh my God, my body's now rocks. So this is horrific. What's happening to me. But um, yeah, yeah I, I, I remember hearing a, uh, like the buzz around that and going, ah, that might be worth watching. But then I think shortly after it came out, uh, pretty much everybody was like, nah, it's bad. And I, and, 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 and I wasn't right. interested in, enough to even cu- curiously see it. And like they had a cast that I liked the look of, because uh, the main guy was in Whiplash, and I bloody loved Whiplash.
0: Was Chronicle on your radar at all? No, beforehand? I've never
1: heard of Chronicle. Never right, heard of Chronicle okay. until I did the research uh, for this show.
0: That's what drove quite a few people to this to, to be interested in this movie. It was like yeah. oh it's the Chronicle guy doing it's the, the fan- <laughs> doing actual superheroes. The there's this thing that this kind of very not very low budget, but this kind of mid budget surprise hit that yeah. that did incredibly well. Um, and it was based on sci-fi and superpowers, kids getting them, but in a thriller kind of way. Cool. Oh, they're actually going to give this guy real characters, real Marvel superheroes to do a thing about. And that was like a really interesting uh, notion. Um, But obviously, didn't pick up with with you. But I remember that being, you know, quite a few people that weren't like superhero comic book people were like, oh, that's going to be good. Mm, mm.
1: I Uh, I, I remember that, that there was some buzz about that, I think I read somewhere because i got some friends who are really uh, big film buffs, so I always get like
0: secondhand information from, from yeah. those kind of people. But it was mainly the, mm. the, the body horror, the Cronenberg thing was interesting oh, for you. But absolutely. then quickly punctured by the movie coming out. Do you remember hearing people saying it was terrible then? E- no one said anything nice about it.
1: Everybody no. said it was bad. And I mean, I looked, I looked it up uh, every now and again. I went, oh,
0: God, is it really
1: that bad? And you'll find my opinion uh, later in the the episode. (laughs) That's
0: what we're here to find out. Is it really that bad? Let's go behind the scenes on the 2015 Fantastic Four movie now. To do that, we need to climb out of the bog of the uh, muggle's mind and uh, much like the celebrations for New Year, shine a light into the glistening sky and summon Mr. Hollywood to help Mm. us dive into the trash cans and the dumpsters of Hollywood itself. Mr. Hollywood, can you help us? We can. Let's get behind <coughs>
1: the uh, the detail, behind the scenes of Fantastic Four. But first, as we always do, we have to make sense of the dollars and cents. Uh, let's start off with the two previous Fantastic Four films. So, 2005 saw the release of Fantastic Four. Production budget, $87.5 million domestic box office 154.6 million international box office 178.4 million making a worldwide box office of 333 million what do we think of that at the time that sounds pretty decent to me that's that is well you know you know you know that rule i have apparently doesn't exist where it's <laughs> the a success rule, yes. if it makes 3, three times, times money back. Yeah, yeah 3 times its money back. That's my guiding rule like yeah, you can't sniffle. No, that's that's good. This film was a financial success. Also, and it was uh, yeah. Before the MCU. Yes, before the MC- 3 years before the MCU, <laughs> 1 year. So, before Batman Begins as well, before everything Yeah, which off. is
0: which is important. Yeah. Um, and and then the The Dark Knight. What year is The Dark Knight? 12. The Dark Knight was 2008. 2008, that's it. Which is the first billion dollar? There was a, a, a yeah. big, a big mover and shaker, but yeah. So it's in that in that weird period of time these two movies mm. after Spider Man, yes. which had made yes. hundred eight hundred million, and everyone went, "Oh man, we need more of that." Yeah, and we got things that didn't quite work like Ghost Rider <laughs> and Daredevil, and indeed direct to DVD sequel, Electra. Um we're coming later this year on Marvel versus Marvel. Um, <clears throat> so it's that odd period where mm. they want more they want that money, but they're not you know, they haven't got yeah. a big enough um, premise or or character as spider-man they tried with the hulk didn't they it didn't quite work
1: yeah i i'm gonna become i'll be honest i'll come out and say the noughties were a very weird decade i think they were the in-between decade when we were still figuring things out and then yeah last decade and this decade i thought oh things are tying together in terms of entertainment and society (sighs) I like <laughs> really it's really tied oh. together oh wait a minute. With not end, with society
0: no. capitalism has really mm. tied things together yeah sorry
1: I'll, I'll i'll just go with the uh, superhero <coughs> movies it's were okay, we tied go. together Good. last year last decade mm.
0: and we enjoyed the,
1: the first fantastic four movie uh yeah i actually more than we thought we were gonna i i i had low low expectations about all three of these films <coughs> uh and i have to say the the first one was fine i enjoyed it it was fun it did it what it needed It was a to bit do. campy,
0: it was a bit silly, but that was yeah. enjoyable.
1: But that's how it should be. As you've uh, explained to me about how the Fantastic Four should be, that's a that's, that's, uh, job done. And, uh, you know, I- I'm going to be saying it several times. Anytime we cover the Fantastic Four, I will be saying I am really looking forward to seeing the MCU film. I can't wait. And I'm not a Fantastic Four fan, but I'm looking forward to seeing how they do it. And um, we had a sequel from the same team, didn't we? We did, yeah, it was successful enough. We had uh, 2007, saw Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Production budget, 120 million, so a bit more. Yeah, 30 something million more. Yeah, I thought you were going to say 30%, then get all technical on me. Uh, domestic box office, 131.9 million, so a bit of a dip. International box office, 157.5 million, leading to worldwide box office of 289. Uh, million so <coughs> That's,
0: a that that is again we are in a time when sequels don't necessarily make more money there were there were always you know there was always this expectation for sequels to be a bit crap and be the kind of the the, the crappy kind of like offering after it's, mm. it's it, there were a couple that you know you back to the future your aliens your godfather but mm. in general sequels especially something like this was was not really i don't think expected to make Morning, whereas now nowadays it is, isn't it? It's always expected to the sequel's gonna make more and be bigger and
1: I, I it's 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 mad how that turned around. I I, I don't <clears> know <throat> what where the biting point where where like the moment that happened, like the suddenly It's kind of the beginnings of franchises, isn't it? Well, that, that would be it, yeah. I, I maybe,
0: don't don't maybe Harry
1: Potter was the start of that. Harry Potter films, you know
0: i don't know i don't know whether yeah you might well be right obviously bond doesn't quite i wouldn't bond, i don't count but bond are sequels, sequels and sequels
1: really unless you yeah, count the daniel craig ones which kind of had a running thing going yeah
0: on. whether it's whether it's, uh, it's chicken and the egg is it a case of audiences wanting more of something or is it a case of studios saying let's invest in the sequel let's not Mm. Let's not just, you know, here's another one. Not, not, Let's not, not do what they did with the Planet of the Apes films back in the 70s and just decrease the, cat, the, the budget changes tonight. and everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, that brings us on to the reboots. Oh, well, just a little note on that though, cuz you've got um video sales. Oh, sorry, you? yes, i forgot the video Which? sales.
1: So the first one, uh, Fantastic Four, uh 200 sorry, 12.2 million dollars on the uh, domestic video sales and for Rise of Silver Surfer, Sixty-three point six million. Huge uptake. Huge. Yes. What was happening? What's happening then? What I don't get. It.
0: I here's so Come I don't on, theorize, know because video sales includes VHS and DVDs. Yes. Two thousand and five. Mm. The DVD player has only just become the thing. Yeah. Like it's around that time that it replaces the VHS player. Yes. In yes. terms of new sales. Oh, you also had by Blu-ray. Time, by the time you get to 2007, yeah. I I don't know. I haven't looked into this, but was the DVD player sufficiently cheap enough to give it so that m- loads more people had um, more ability to watch things at home? I don't yeah, think I would
1: so. I'd say that.
0: I'd say that. VHS is really cheap by that point. The players, maybe they I weren't. Do- I
1: don't know. V- VHSs were on their way out at that point, but I think I think Blu-ray would come in as well. Because I remember Blu-ray being a big thing around 2006, but 2007. But but why would that account for more sales? Have you seen Have you seen the pro? Oh, I was going to say for more money. Uh, I was about to say, have you seen the, the price of Blu-rays back then? I don't know. <laughs> well, There's a, a possibility different versions of the same film. May, maybe, buy, maybe. I, don't know. I I don't speak. I, I've never bought a Blu-ray. I've no. I have no plans to buy
0: a Blu-ray player. If 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 domestic video sales were up, I'd expect worldwide box office to also be up, and we've seen that's the opposite here. Mm. Like worldwide box office is kind of down. Ooh. But this this was video maybe sales are maybe up. this was because of the uh, <laughs> the
1: financial crisis. People weren't going out to the cinema, but buying buying DVDs. You know,
0: good point. Could that's well be that. that- that could be it. Could well be that. Yeah. We've solved the mystery. <laughs> We've solved the video mystery. Using evidence of just talking about it for a bit.
1: Theorizing, not listening to research. We don't like facts in this podcast. <clears throat> anyway, that brings us on, finally, to 2015's uh, gr- dark, gritty reboot of the Fantastic Four. Production budget 120 million again. Domestic box office, 56.1 million. International it's, box in That is in incredible International box office 111.7 million Leading to a worldwide box office Of
0: 167.8
1: million This is a flop
0: Although it outsold uh, The first one in uh, domestic video sales Uh,
1: Yeah 100, <coughs> Sorry what, Why do I say 100 13.5 million So just about <laughs> sold it But not enough to make up for that Box office. Oh
0: dear, that's, 167 that's, depressing. Million that's is. depressing.
1: And it wasn't badly marketed, so I don't know what happened there. Maybe
0: the it word It must have been badly marketed, Will. It must have been badly marketed.
1: But I remember seeing the trailer, trailers and stuff, I don't know. Well, that's that. That's the that's that. That's us. I always hate take looking. Us, take looking us behind at the that. scenes, though. Yeah, let's move away from the sad
0: numbers <laughs> and, and good get to, that. to the most maligned Marvel <laughs> movie in history, <laughs> the most troubled production. We thought we had trouble with Ant Man. We didn't know what we were talking about oh, Iron
1: Man. Two was the one for well, me. The that Last
0: Stand. I mean, all yeah. the. But we didn't
1: know what we were. This this was fun. This was fun to dig into. But let's start from the beginning. So, in August 2009, 20th Century Fox announced that they would reboot the Fantastic Four film franchise with Akiva Goldsmith hired as producer and Michael Green to write the screenplay. At the time, actors Adrian Brody and Jonathan Reese Mayers were considered for the role of Mr. Fantastic and Keitha Sutherland the role
0: of The Thing. That's just voice casting, isn't it? I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can imagine him as Jack Bauer voice, but you want you want someone with a bit more friendliness to the thing. I think he, he'd sound too uh, gritty.
0: I've yeah, I can't I can't really picture. Tell me it. where the bomb is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> In July two thousand and twelve, the studio hired Josh Trank, which I refuse to. Uh, Such an
0: American name. That is, not that I mean, no offence to Americans, but what a name, Josh. You're so close Trank. to me calling Josh Tank. <laughs> Josh Trank uh
1: yeah Josh Trank to d- uh, div- direct the movie Trank had risen to fame directing the small budget found footage sh- superhero thriller Chronicle which starred Michael B Jordan Jeremy Slater was hired as screenwriter whilst uh, Slater had not be- uh, yet written a movie that had been released he had three red hot screenplays circling Hollywood and causing a buzz that he'd be the next big Hollywood writer
0: He was I don't know if you remember the guy that wrote *Lethal Weapon*. Ooh. Oh, what's his name? Something Black. Oh, Shane Shane, Shane, black. Shane Black. Shane Black. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like Shane Black was a Hollywood like star, as it were, in Hollywood before *Lethal Weapon* came out because that script, that screenplay, was red hot, and there was a massive bidding war mm. um, <clears throat> for it, and um, it was a similar. It was like. Uh, this guy slater jeremy slater was kind of tipped as the next shane black because his screenplays <laughs> that were circulating were like oh there's three and they're all from the same dude we've got to get him on something god i like i like shane black
1: i i've enjoyed <clears throat> i've enjoyed a fair amount of his stuff kiss kiss bang bang is brilliant oh god kiss kiss bang bang i was, thank you so much for recommending me that i love so it. It good so it? good so good anyway let's get back to slater slater's original script featured the villains Galactus and Dr. Doom, with Doom depicted as a spy who becomes a herald of Galactus and eventually the dictator of Latveria. Answering questions on Twitter in 2022, Slater said, well, most of my problems with Fantastic Four stem from the fact that I uh, I was trying to write it like an MCU movie,
0: which wasn't what the director wanted. That's... A big mistake. Yeah. You should be leaning very hard into wanting to make this like an MCU movie. At, well,
1: it wasn't a concept, but oh no, it was. It was. back. this is 2015. Sorry, I was thinking 2005. Yeah, you should. But what were they doing? Did we just wanted to make this a one-off thing or whatever. Oh,
0: I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it- he obviously wanted. He didn't want it. He wanted to. It seems to me like Trank wanted to make something much darker. Yeah, he wanted to
1: Snyder it up. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Despite claiming to have been a fan of the Fantastic Four when he was a kid, uh, director Josh Trank had only seen the 1994 cartoon series and had no interest in the superhero movie genre. He admitted he found himself unable to identify with Slater's more comic book-centric tone. Trank left Slater out of discussions with Fox Studios and withheld certain studio notes. Slater added, I never saw 95% of those notes and left after six months.
0: Wow. Sometimes um, screenwriters turn the script and that's that, you know? That's just sometimes how the job is. You know, they're not
1: turn it in and they butcher it you know
0: that's you've done your job well even if they don't they just turn it in and that's the end of the job it's not necessarily the the a a bad sign okay um that's fair okay that's from that
1: perspective that is fair uh simon kinberg was brought in to rewrite slater's script kinberg had previously written x-men last stand uh, first class and days of future past and also served as a producer on this movie Final writing credits for this movie are given to Jeremy Slater, Josh Trank, and Simon Kinberg.
0: So, Kinberg sounds like a, if you've got problems with a script, it, it seems like a bit of a sensible hire. When was Days of Future Past? It wasn't... 2014. So it would have been the previous right. year. Yeah. <clears throat> and the that first, was yeah. that was a success. And First Class was a mild success. Last Stand was, was terribly put together from beginning to end. But... That seems like a sensible hire We've got a problem with this script Bring in Kinberg He's done two decent ones for us recently And he knows knows the genre He knows how to write these kind of characters Great, very
1: sensible So, in October 2013 Simon Kinberg was hired uh, as co-writer and producer As we said Speaking about the approach to this film Kinberg said this Fantastic Four movie is a sort of a celebration of all the Fantastic no, Four that have preceded it. <laughs> no, Let it me isn't finish the sentence. Let me finish the
0: sentence before you decide
1: to get outraged. You awful man. We have elements from the original Fantastic Four there that go. there's so... <laughs> Could you just hold it in? That there's a sort of optimism and inspirational quality to I, I'm sorry, I, even I can't finish that sentence. It's like get this out. Inspirational Shutter. quality to this inspirational movie. Inspirational quality. There's no. Oh, God, what are you saying? This
0: guy. God. Oh,
1: God. He's 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 awful. Anyway. 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 Then it's again, so,
0: that's that's in the that's in a script that he wrote. Right? That's in a script that he wrote and again. he's saying that in 2013, two years before the movie comes out. Because it hasn't you know, so he doesn't know what's about to happen to the script that he's he's written. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, where was I? Because I keep you keep putting me
1: off. In some ways it's a, it's a comedy that was really distinct to the original fantastic four nope also the notion of this dysfunctional surrogate family that comes together and has to work together is a very is a very present in the movie that owes a great debt to the originals and this idea that they are scientists and that it's almost like this science adventure more than being superheroes we also allot to the ultimates and the current crop of fantastic four comics so that last bit is a bit true then.
0: You know, yeah, they lift it wholesale, they, and not that it's a bad thing. They just, they, they, they. I don't think anyone involved has read any of the r- r- real it's, slash original Fantastic Four stuff.
1: It doesn't. It does It doesn't feel like that at all. It it, it, it feels like uh, your description of uh, Snyder's method for the Watchmen, which is oh, they looked at some. They did a Google image search and read the Wikipedia. Yeah, Imgur page. Wikipedia. Yeah. Imgur- yeah. Wikipedia. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, bish bash bosh done, uh, according to Mark Miller. Twentieth Century Fox's consultant for their Marvel comics-based films. That's
0: a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Miller doesn't like superheroes. Yeah,
1: I was I was waiting for your reaction. When I was well, yeah. when I found this, I was like, oh, I wonder how Rob's gonna to react to this. And no, you're right. It explains right, a lot about
0: about X-Men and the Fantastic Four if Miller is their is their Marvel consultant. We uh, to, to make a superhero film. We need to
1: get the guy who hates superheroes, <laughs> or whatever. I don't know if
0: he. I don't know if he hates. Yeah. Super, Garth Ennis hates Garth, superheroes. don't know about Mark Miller. I was about to say
1: Garth Ennis yeah. is the one who hates superheroes. Mark Miller just wants Absolutely. to find it.
0: Just wants yeah. to find a way of uh,
1: either turning it into a film
0: or something to vomit. If at. you've if you've got like Marvel Unlimited or whatever, check out Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe written by Garth Ennis, where he just comes up with. Like the most gruesome ways Of killing all the heroes he hates And has Frank Castle do it
1: (sighs) I want to read that But I
0: can't, you're you're an awful man
1: Uh, uh, So so, anyway, according to Mark Miller The film would take place in the same universe As the X-Men film series Answering a Q A about no no wait for this answering a Q and A about this <laughs> Miller said without question I think you have to see some of these guys showing up in each other's films I think the most exciting thing in superhero movies until Avengers came along was when Nick Fury showed up in Iron Man even though it was a guy with an eye patch it was really
0: cool and I expect we will see more of that that would have that would have given this movie something if yeah. if the intent of this movie is to go right we're Fox and we're we we want that Avengers money. We want a billion dollar movie franchise. We want the Foxverse. We want the Foxverse. So let's build off the fact that now X-Men is kind of in in good sort of good shape. Yep. Let's do Fantastic Four and set it in the same world. That that sounds like a smart approach to me. I would absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You could really have it, bring it all together. Yeah. However, Kinberg later contradicted this statement. Oh, good, good. (laughs) Well, it's complicated because none of the X-Men movies have acknowledged the notion of a sort of superhero team, the Fantastic Four. And the Fantastic Four acquires powers, so for them to live in a world where mutants are prevalent is kind of complicated because you're like, oh, you're just a mutant. Like, what's so fantastic
0: about you? (laughs) Which makes sense. It makes sense. I I, I can kind of see that, Uh, but it's like saying oh, well, why even have an Iron Man movie if you're going to have a Captain America movie? Yeah, yeah. Then you've st- 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 more than one person with powers.
1: I get that. I get that.
0: <clears throat> but then, I, I, le- Yeah, sorry. I must admit, though, um, what did I watch recently? I watched Black Adam recently. Oh. A, st- I, a, real, st- a real stinker. Yeah, I, I, I
1: nothing but bad things.
0: Right, but I don't agree. I don't listen to that because I heard nothing but bad things about the Flash movie and I really enjoyed it beginning to end. Me and okay. Peter J both had a great time. I heard the same about this. This one is a stinker. But there's a bit in it where, like, as soon as Black Adam displays powers, everyone's like, What is happening? And I go, <laughs> Well, we've had already Superman, <laughs> Batman, Wonder Woman, the whole Justice yeah. League, and Shazam, and the Suicide Squad i i can't have that reaction in this universe anymore you yeah. just have to go he's one of them yeah he's one exactly of them.
1: that's what happens in the mcu <clears> now it's like another hero comes and goes. oh
0: you're just another and you it's know. like not not it's not downplaying it it's just have you can't have that shocked and odd reaction to the 19th person in your universe to display powers yeah yeah
1: What was What was it like? Was it in Moon Knight where it's like, oh my god, you're an Egyptian superhero, and it was like there was a nice twist on that of like, oh, we've got so many superheroes, but we haven't got an Egyptian one. You know, when she brings her 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 wings out, that was such a cool moment. But it's like it's not. Oh my god, a superhero. It's like oh my god, we got one now. We got representation. That's lovely. I like I like that twist on it. Anyway, later. Brian Singer confirmed talks of a potential crossover among Fox. He said, "Those ideas are in play. That would be a natural match-up because they're both ensemble films, and there is a natural mechanism by which to do it. We'll have to see how the films turn out. To just say you're going to do it would be a mistake. You have to see how the films evolve before you make that decision to completely commit to that. So, not really saying, not really, you know, not really confirming." Yeah, again. Hollywood speak. Hollywood speak. You know, he's, he's doing the, he's doing the. Uh, the, the, the politicising or whatever, you know, not the, saying the shuffle, anything, the, the old shuffle. two step, yeah, yeah, the old, the old two step. <clears throat> so, in January 2014, casting began. Miles Teller, Kit Harrington, Richard Madden, and Jack O'Connell were tested for the role of Reed before Teller was cast. Meanwhile, Kate Mara, uh, Ronan, I think, Source, Source Roman. Ronan, uh, Margot Robbie and Emma Rossum were tested for Susan. That would have been interesting if Margot Robbie got that. In February it was revealed that Michael B. Jordan would play Johnny Storm and Mara was cast as Susan Storm. In March, Toby Kebbell was cast as Victor Von Doom and teleconfirmed that Jamie Bell had been cast as Ben Grimm. Sam Riley, Eddie Redmayne and Domhnall Gleeson were considered for Doctor Doom. Eddie
0: Redmayne as Doctor Doom!
1: Can you imagine
0: Eddie Redmayne as Dr. Doom? Dr. Paddington. <laughs> Dr. Paddington! <laughs> a,
1: a, a friend of mine, Stan, a stand-up friend of mine, uh, James O'Donoghue, re- really, really good performer. Uh, he's, he's, he's a proper actor as well. Uh, he did this great impression of Eddie Redmayne. He summed him up as saying like a, he's like a horse who's terribly, terribly chuffed to be there. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh that's so kind. It's like, yeah, that's Eddie Redmayne.
0: Do yeah. you think Do I think any of these were good was it were good castings. Do you think any of these people fit the role? Well I like Michael it's, B. Jordan, but I like Michael B. Jordan. But I I I think this is the thing. It's like
1: we'll get we'll come to that in a bit.
0: Um the, the, the problem is that the characters are so different to how they are we've seen previously that I'm not sure I can like I don't think I don't think any of these are playing a character I recognise from a comic or from the previous movies. They feel like they're just playing archetypes. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you like, you've got, you got, you got the hothead,
1: you've got the hot uh, head, you've <coughs> got the 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 the, the, the qu- not quirky but like confident science guy, the m- m- dismissive woman. I don't know. It's just it's, they they just they just feel like they they're not. Getting the characters from the comic, they're just reverting to very basic archetypes from other films. There's no, yeah. there's, there's very little character
0: in these. There's no character in this. There's no yeah. spark between
1: anybody. It feels yeah. It it it's a real shame because they are good performers. I think there's there's a they they
0: are, but they, yeah. they seem to be written yeah. badly. But the, and if you compare it to the fun that Johnny and Ben have in the fantastic the other Fantastic Four movies, mm. right? The it, the combative. They Angering with the pranks, they were. That was fun. They were fun. Yeah, it it was all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. This it's one of the many modern Hollywood movies where the cast looks good on paper. (laughs) <laughs> you go, oh yeah, I know that name, and I know that name, and I know that name, and you put them together, and you go, ah, oh, this it's just the, didn't work, It just it's, failed. It's less than the sum of its parts, basically. Yeah. It's like it's like like the Expendables. You thought, hey, look at all these people in this film. Oh my god, oh that's my terrible. God. It's terrible. That was genuinely. I was. I love a dumb action movie, Me and too. I was all Me ready too. to go. Wonderful. And I was, I thought it was one of the worst films I have ever seen. We, I, I got my mum and my stepdad worst to watch script. it. And yeah. they were just
1: like, we were just, at the end, we were just like, that wasn't good. And we were it's so... Terrible. It was terrible. I love
0: it was, a good
1: action movie. It was, it was, it was aimed for us. Uh, anyway, anyway, let's move away from that. Now, this is funny. I found this out. This is really funny. That Matt Mickelson also auditioned for the role of Doom. Which would have been tremendous. Uh, Mickelson later stated that the only thing he was asked to do during his audition was stretch his arms as long as he could
0: make them. Looking what? back,
1: <laughs> stretching his arms out—that's what he was
0: asked to do. Are you sure? He, are you sure he wasn't auditioning for Reed Richards with this <laughs> stretching back? Like. <laughs> the wrong, it's the wrong character. That 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 would have been really. If you can actually straight if you've got really long arms, you should be cast as Reed Richards because it would save them a little bit of money on CGI. Yeah, that would. I don't need to CGI a, a three foot arm now. I just need to CGI <laughs> a two and a half foot arm. Brilliant. But, uh, well, that would have been funny if, like, he 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 did that trick you
1: do that makes makes it look like your arms. You know when you, you, you turn to one side with your arms out and it looks like your arm's oh, growing. Yeah. It'd be funny if he did that and, and the people going, oh my God, we're definitely <laughs> hiring him. Anyway, looking back on this bizarre adi- audition, uh, Mickelson said, I, I didn't walk out. When I left it, I was just like, this is crazy. I don't even have long arms. What am I doing in here? The audition was only about long arms. No lines.
0: I felt a little funny. I'm convinced he was he was auditioning for Reed Richards and it was a mistake. <laughs> this is the funniest thing. Ever. This is just bizarre.
1: Absolutely Crazy. bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Anyway. So, uh Sadly, the casting of black actor uh, Michael B. Jordan as the new Johnny Storm spawned controversy amongst some fans, i.e. racists. Uh, (laughs) Trank justified his decision by saying the uh, move to cast Jordan as Johnny Storm was taken to bring the iconic comic book team in line with real-world demographics. Writing an article for Entertainment Weekly, Trank said... After taking on Johnny Storm in Fantastic Four, a character originally written with blonde hair and blue eyes, I wanted to check the pulse out there. I didn't want to be ignorant about what people were saying. Turns out, this is what they were saying. A black guy? I don't like it. They must be doing it because Obama's president. (coughs) And it's not true to the comic. Or even, they've destroyed it. To the trolls on the internet, I want to say... Get your head out of the computer. Go outside and walk around. Look at the people walking next to you. Look at your friends' friends and who they're interacting with, and just understand this is the world we live in. It's okay to like it. This could have been good if the film was good. As well,
0: so. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, we all like Michael B. Jordan. It's kind of it's kind of weird. Like, like I don't know what these people do. If you were to if you ask them to describe Johnny Storm, are they going to immediately start talking about the pigmentation in his skin? Yeah. Well, the first thing you need to know about this guy is he, that he is very white. <laughs> <Like why> is, <laughs> what are you talking about? He's so oh, white, yeah. he's got tickets to Coldplay in his pocket at all times. A big thing about him is all these ancestors he had that came from Ireland. And But what are you talking about? Johnny Storm. He, he loves cars. <laughs> he burns himself on fire. And he tries to date girls. Like that's the, those are the three things about Johnny Storm.
1: I just don't get it. I don't get it. It's just like it, it,
0: I I I can't find the
1: energy to be upset with anything like that. I'll be like, oh, they've changed a character. Great. Like they did that with the Resident Evil TV series on Netflix. Wasn't great, but they they cast um, Lance Reddick as the role of Albert Wesker, a guy with uh who who's blonde and has slick back hair, and everybody went mental. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care. It's last not
0: I, I don't see how it really impacts too much. Like, um, <clears throat> there are times when, obviously, a cultural change would change the character. Of course, if, yeah. If the, the, the culture of the character's backstory changes, that would change the culture of the backstory. But you, what does it? I mean, I don't know if what it matters, really. Yeah. It's different. I mean, we've seen so many different interpretations, you know, yeah. of, of characters over the years. It doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah, I just, yeah I, I've got other things to worry about,
1: mate. Like getting through these ruddy good facts. Uh, <laughs> Trank would receive numerous death threats through IMDb message boards. The toughest
0: of all people.
1: God, it's like... It's like people it's on like, the
0: IMDb message boards. It's like Reddit on
1: crack. <laughs> uh, I had slept with a thirty-eight Special on his nightstand. That's a gun, ladies and gentlemen. That's a gun. That's, that's gun. Yeah, that's a, that was a, it's a small gun. Uh, he returned the gun after production had wrapped. Talking about this, Trank said, I was getting threats on IMDb message boards saying they were going to shoot me. I was so effing paranoid during that shoot. If someone came into my house, I would have ended their effing life. When you're in a headspace where people want to get you, you think, I'm going to defend myself. We've never had this before. In all the troubled productions we've covered for films, we've never had someone get death threats and arm themselves under the paranoia that
0: someone's going to kill them. We've not heard about it, yeah. I mean, Mm. I think it's probably the the perfect storm of as time moves on and there's so many of these terminally online people online Mm. and they can present themselves anonymously through these message boards and through Twitter and things. It's, you know, I... <clears throat> I imagine it probably would have happened in 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 the past. All the things like nobody ah, true, th- true, true. nobody wanted Toby Maguire to be Spider Man. I remember that. Like there was a whole bunch of you know. Obviously, but- it has a much much higher degree of problems when it is um, a, a black person involved because of the way the society is set up. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's we're probably I, I, we're probably going to see an awful lot more of that as time goes on. Aye. That's sad That's sad
1: Frank later admitted That he wanted to cast A black actress For the role of Susan Storm But the studio Insisted on retaining Her ethnicity for the film He said Why? I don't get I don't understand I do not understand It's weird I was mostly interested In a black Susan Storm And a black Johnny Storm And a black Franklin Storm When you're dealing With a studio On a massive movie like that Everybody wants to keep An open mind To who the big stars Are going to be I found a lot of Pretty heavy pushback On casting a black woman In that role I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Before the film's release, several sources have reported that there were multiple disagreements between 20th Century Fox and Trank during production. After being dissatisfied with uh, Trank's original cut, Fox ordered their own changes to the film without Trank's supervision, changing and omitting certain major plot points from Trank's version. Many other sources claim that there was erratic behaviour from Trank on the set of the film, which resulted in Fox's negative treatment of him.
0: There was something like four
1: rounds of reshoots that's, for this that's, movie. That's just so, I mean how how many reshoots rounds of reshoots is it is it normal? Do you have one round of reshoots, that's it? Just to
0: kill it clear you know, just do a quick sweep up of things, that's it? Uh, everything's different, but I don't I don't <clears throat> now, now it's incredibly common. You talk about these Marvel the current Marvel copper movies seems to be like there's a lot of reshoots going on and same with the DC and Yeah. <clears throat> I I don't I don't know, man. Um it doesn't yeah. I don't know. I remember the born the born identity being incredibly uh, suffering, incredibly from this. Doug Lyman is uh, renowned to be a very fly by the seat of his pants director, um, <laughs> and Trank. I think he made he's made one like mid budget movie on his own without a studio caring. Mm-hmm. Like before this, it's not like he had a wealth of industry experience. Um, it's you. Think of it as like a chef What's the difference between a cook and a chef uh, it's, The difference it's, is a chef mm. Is managing a kitchen full of people mm. That's the difference Oh um, so, so it's a hierarchy thing <clears throat> It's not a hierarchy thing It's a management thing yeah. It's making sure Every department that answers to you And has their own set If you The amount of money you cost by being late like by missing the the right kind of daylight, mm. or the right kind of nightlight, or the right kind of, or getting. If you delay something and that actor is no longer available, if yeah. you there's so much in terms of scheduling. And it's a oh, massive, yeah. massive production. And the longer it runs on, the more money it costs and the worse it gets. Because then you've got all the post-production that needs to be done. Yeah. All the foley artists are waiting around and the CGI people are waiting. You know, Of course, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a huge, huge, huge responsibility. Um, so you need a very, very experienced producer and a very, very experienced director. And so it's always odd when you have these people that haven't done these big... Action movies are suddenly doing an action movie. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but. Mad. Yeah. Mad. While Fox
1: distribution chief uh, Chris Aronson claimed that Fox supported Trank's version of the film, Toby Kettle conversely stated, I tell you, the honest truth is Trank did a cut of, did cut a great film that you'll never see. That is a shame. A much darker version and you'll never see it. Trank further disowned the film by removing it from
0: his Instagram filmography. Why would Fox want a dark... They're, they're, here's the problem. Here we go. Fox want that Avengers money yeah. and that x spend money. Of course they do. They want more of it, right? hmm But they've hired a guy that doesn't want to make that movie. <laughs> they knew what they were doing, though. They hired the guy on the back of Chronicle and went, Cool. They'll get the Chronicle guy, because he's got some buzz behind him for doing a dark superhero movie. Yeah. And then when it came to not cutting time, they didn't want a dark superhero movie. They wanted Avengers. And I can't I need fault the dark wanting...
1: superhero movie you have. No, that's too dark.
0: I can't fault them for not wanting a dark superhero movie, but mm. I can fault them for bringing in the guy whose only claim to anything is making the dark superhero movie. Mm. Like, that's the guy you brought in. Why...
1: I have, a fe- I have a feeling It was a committee thing Where no one Everyone had conflicting ideas
0: He, had, that- bu- he, had, he had Buzz mm. behind his name And he had this great Like if you look at What Chronicle made Compared to His, his budget was like 20, 25 million Something like that And it made a great deal of money Wow Which looks impressive And it was about superheroes And so they got that guy in But they didn't really know What they were doing Because it's Hollywood <sighs> That's a shame The studio <clears throat> was caught off guard By the first cut of
1: the film For having a morose tone The ending had not been finalised and the studio hastily had to cobble together a new ending that was essentially composed of script pieces of the original draft, plus new ones that were being written on the day of reshoots. Many of Trank's suggestions were swiftly ignored. Wow. That's rough. (laughs) That's so bad. That's worse than uh, Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix, we'll cover that at some point. But I I haven't even looked deeply into that because we, you know until i will when we cover it but from looking (coughs) looking uh just quickly over things that was a similar trouble production that they just couldn't be bothered in the end
0: now that being said my favorite movie of all time which i think is one of the great maybe the greatest movie ever made casablanca Mm. was again being written on the day it was being filmed (laughs) like sometimes (laughs) it just it's it's not it's not like this would never work um I Man. Iron man had had similar. You know, we looked at we looked at. Oh yes, the improvisation. The Iron Man was going through similar stuff, man. Yeah. Um. It's, and it it's, the, it's, it's out.
1: the it's the gamble. You take the risk, and if it pays off, good. If it doesn't, oh no, oh dear. Yeah. Anyway, speaking years later about his experience writing for the film, Trank said the trials of developing Fantastic Four had everything to do with tone. You could take the most comic booky things as far as just names and faces and identities and backstories and synthesise it into a tone. The tone what that, does that mean? Again, it's, 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 just, it's just waffle, isn't it? Uh, the, and the tone that Slater was interested in was not a tone that I felt had anything in common with. I felt that there was a deep level of mischaracterization in the media about what was going on with the film. But as far as my own level of responsibility in the film turning out to be a disaster and not working, I was absolutely responsible. But so was everyone, everybody else. When I was in the middle of the situation, it was very clear that everybody was doing the wrong thing. When the story started to come out, I was the designated fall guy. For me, it was unfair, because the perception publicly was that there was one person responsible for this not going the way it should have gone, which is an easy thing to believe. I've got all these professional adults who worked on a lot of movies and all these well-established industry insiders who have been making these types of movies for a long time. And here's this young relatively inexperienced filmmaker being described as in over his head they said i wasn't communicating with people and didn't want to play by the rules i was described as working against everybody else's wishes in a way that was destructive when i read that i thought okay well i would believe that story if i didn't know me because it sounds plausible but that's not what i remembered what i remembered was i was being overly communicative i have no problem communicating i have never had a problem communicating that's why i got chronicle greenlit when i didn't have much work to my name the problem was i was communicating ideas that didn't mesh well with everybody else's it's not their fault and it's not my fault it was the wrong combination of people to get together and make something creative now the first problem there is he <coughs> said it was his fault and everybody else's fault and then says no no it's not no one's fault so he went on a journey well
0: he's doing that thing of uh, the book stops with me i'm the director is yeah. it my fault it didn't work yes but then he's trying to say, say all, all the all the stories about me being bad at my job and not working well with the studio aren't are are too harsh. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I I did a bad job,
1: you know, blame me, but not too much. Uh, <laughs> not, <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, it's
0: look, it's not. I, I I mean, Born Identity is the perfect example of this. Mm. Um. It was a terribly maligned shoot. There's there's a there's a story of the making of of uh, The Born Identity where Doug Lynham wakes up from a nap and realizes he's missed one of the most key and essential shots in the whole movie. Um, and he tells the experienced producer, and they have this horrific screaming match in front of all the casting crew. And on and on and on, these problems go on and on and on. All these reshoots are ordered, the films are delayed by a year, the the studio hate what they're, they're seeing, it goes on and on. And in the end, they make something that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it was a Through great, a little bit film. of compromise, mm. rounds and rounds of reshoots and all of that, it can kind of work. But on the back of that, Doug Liman gets ejected from the Bourne franchise and never gets to return. Despite the fact it was his project that he brought to Universal, despite mm. the fact that he flew a plane to Robert Ludlum's house, <laughs> to his estate to get to buy to try and purchase the rights to the book, and he yeah. was he fought for years to get the Born thing on cinema on screen and everything, and then he was so difficult to work with, or he wasn't key with this and that, and he let things slip, and but he goes on to make other big. Big action movies.
1: Oh, I was, I was hoping he'd, he'd have some success after, because he, he did a great job. It's a great film. Yeah,
0: well, he did Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and, oh, and not, not necessarily good films, <laughs> but okay. big action movies. Fair enough. <coughs> yeah. This is a... Uh, yeah. I, I, this is... This is a failure, but it's a failure from a concept on down. They, yeah. They brought in the wrong creative vision for what they want. Mm. This might... Like this feels like like you said it feels like a Snyder a kind of uh you know we want dark and gritty because we want to be the anti-avengers. That's not what you want. You want all that Avengers money. <laughs> Go and get make, it. Make up your mind. On, on- sell lunch boxes. <laughs> sell lunch boxes. Get the McDonald's tie in. <laughs> Spaceballs,
1: the T-shirt. Anyway, on the review aggregator website Rotten Tomatoes, 9% of 263 critics' reviews are positive, with an average rating of 3.6 out of 10. Jesus. That single figures. Single figures Rotten Tomatoes score. Wow. That's insanely bad. That's bad. The website's consensus reads... Dull and downbeat, this Fantastic Four proves a woefully misguided attempt to translate a classic comic series without the humour, joy or colourful thrills that made it great. As of 2023, it is the lowest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes out of all theatrical films based on Marvel Comics properties. Just, just, just to let you know, that probably includes Howard the Duck and Man-Thing.
0: And Electra. And Dark Phoenix. Oh no, not not Phoenix yet. But, but Last Stand. How the Duck, Man Thing, Man Thing? That's that is
1: insanely bad.
0: We'll the come Dolph to Punisher. My...
1: Sorry, the Dolph
0: Lundgren Punisher.
1: Dolph... Oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have always forget about that one. Should we? Is it worth covering that at some point? do You think? Let's stick with this movie. Sorry. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> tapping we'll a sees behind the squirrel scenes... and off he
0: goes. Um, yeah, ADHD. I think. Mm. What's just occurred to me mm. is this movie is bad because it is dull, downbeat, woefully misguided, it is dark for no reason, yes. and has none of the humour, joy or colourful thrills. We all agree on that, including everyone that's watched the movie. And this is the lighter version of what Josh Trank made. <laughs> Josh Trank's <laughs> original movie was darker than this.
1: Mm, I can imagine. I can imagine. Nah, I reckon it'd be, it'd, be bit, it'd be a bit more body horror. I reckon if they lent into the body horror, it would you have been want, body horror. want body horror. That's body horror. I want. You've no evidence
0: that's present. You just wanted
1: the the film. Also went on to win <coughs> gold, Golden Raspberry Awards, including worst film and worst director. Good old Jeez. Golden Raspberry. Uh, before Fantastic Four began filming, uh, 20th Century Fox announced plans for a sequel with a scheduled release date of July fourteenth, two thousand seventeen. Fox then rescheduled the release for June 2nd, uh, 2017. Despite the performance, Fox still planned to produce a sequel with Simon Kinberg working on the project. The sequel, however, was later removed from Fox's release schedule in November 2015. <coughs> wow. Toby Kebble said that he would only be interested in returning to the role of Doctor Doom if he joined the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Kebble added, Truth is, Doom is an incredible bad guy. They just keep trying to force him in- onto the Fantastic Four. Doom is a monster, but you know my Doom was not, so there's that. Could you see him as uh, doing it again if they, got, if, they, if they did it right in the, fan- in the uh, MCU? No, I didn't
0: think he was any good.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I, I kind of liked him. Well, I, I like Toby Kebbell, but I think they need someone with a bit more presence as as uh, doom
0: i wouldn't have any i would i would burn the original copies of this movie and i would never ever try to re. <laughs> you want to you want to try and recreate the nine percent fresh movie Will. Oh, you want to try yeah. and say you know we yeah. need to play dr doom it's so the guy in that movie didn't make any freaking money
1: <laughs> okay you've made your point finally in december 2017 Marvel Studios' parent company, the Walt Disney Company, uh, agreed to acquire 20th Century Fox's parent company, 21st Century Fox. Uh, Disney's CEO, Bob Iger, said they plan to integrate the Fantastic Four into the MCU.
0: These movies don't happen in a vacuum, Will Preston. I'll have you know that these movies occur within the context of the time when they come out, so let's dive a little bit into that. The top... Five singles of the year 2015 We had Uptown Funk What a huge massive hit that was Absolute Mark Ronson, song. Bruno Mars <clears throat> I'm a big Mark Ronson fan I had a couple of his mixtape albums and You like it when ago. he adds
1: trumpets to music You like it when he adds trumpets to pop music That's um, what he I'm- does
0: uh, mm. I'm, I'm, no, I'm much more, when he does hip-hop records, uh, uh, hip- yeah, he yeah. Got this, got, he's got got this great album called Here Caused the Fuzz, which is really, really good, mm. and um, him producing a lot of different hip-hop artists. Um, <clears throat> what do you mean by Justin Bieber? I'm trying to recall that one, I don't think I can. No, I thought no, I knew his big ones. Apparently that was a big one, I don't know. Um, Thing Out Loud by Ed Sheeran, can't stand him. Um, I don't hello, see the fuss. Hello by Adele. I mean, I thought that was the biggest song of the year. Hello was massive, massive song, yeah. <clears throat> and how deep is your love? Calvin Harris and Disciples. I know the original, the Bee Gees. I don't think I know how deep. I,
1: I, I, I think I know yeah. it, but I'm
0: not going to sing it because I might embarrass myself.
1: But I um, I, I, hear, I hear it in the club every now and again.
0: We had some big, um, big, big, big TV shows make their uh, their debut on television in um, 2015. Better Call Saul, <clears throat> Mr. Robot, mm. The Expanse, uh, Shit's Creek, and Daredevil. Of course, we covered Daredevil. Ah um, oh man, everyone missed like Shit's Creek. Everyone talked about it. Everyone, people whose opinions in comedy I really respect, said it was so so funny. And I tried I, yeah. three times to watch the first two episodes, right? I, and I struggled and struggled and I didn't think it was funny. nothing funny was happening, and I just didn't get it right i I, I didn't I didn't <laughs> and yeah. and so I then during lockdown or whatever, I went right, fine. <laughs> and I watched three or four entire seasons of this show and then i I still don't think it's funny. <laughs>
1: I was, I was, I was bracing I, myself for, and now I love it. No,
0: I didn't. Mm. I didn't. I didn't. I don't love it. I didn't hate it. I didn't think it was terrible. It was. Uh, I just think they completely missold it. It's yeah. a slightly amusing drama thing. Yeah, it's a slightly it's, amusing kind of soapy drama. It's, it's not, without, it the rest of development calling it the best comedy in. They were calling <sighs> no, it the best comedy in decades. No, These people that no. I respect, comedians. I like it was awful. Uh,
1: I like Eugene Levy And Catherine O'Hara I think Catherine O'Hara Was by far the best aspect Of that
0: show She's incredible But But don't sell it As a comedy Yeah
1: Um,
0: The best selling video games Of 2015 um, mm. Call of Duty again, Black Ops Three. That More wasn't Call of Duty. One. That wasn't a good one. Vastly <laughs> different to the other versions of this yeah. game that have been sold. Um, speaking of which, Madden NFL 16, <laughs> um, Fallout 4, very good. Better than Fallout 3, though. Huh? Uh-huh. Was it? Was it? Yeah, uh-huh. Yes. Oh. Ma- many, many fans. Many fans will probably agree. Better than Fallout 3. Um, Star Wars Battlefront. <laughs> Mm. Um and Grand Theft Auto 5. That can't be right.
1: Oh, that must have been um I think they had a re-release for the uh, oh, next okay. generation consoles because it got released in 2013, then they did the
0: PC release and the next generation console release in the oh. uh, yeah. The highest grossing I mean, films yeah. of 2015. Mm. We had uh, The Force Awakens Wrecking in 2 billion at the box office. That's James Cameron money right there. <laughs> Jurassic World Bringing in one point six billion. Um, my friends in Jurassic World. Um, really, Koki Falco, tremendous actor. comedian. Yeah, that's 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 a better name than Josh Trank. <laughs> it is. Yeah, um, he's also been. He was in the last Expendables movie as well. No way. Um, yeah, he yeah. sent me a video of him and Sliced Alone on set together. Amazing. Um, the um, Furious yeah. Seven. Which is one of the ones with the Rock in, so you know it's good. (laughs) 1.5 billion. (laughs) He's just returned on Monday Night Raw, didn't you know? I, I've seen the post. Heading to WrestleMania again. Um, Avengers: Age of Ultron, 1.4 billion, and Minions bringing in (laughs) 1.15 billion, and of course from there, Minions would go on to be the most successful meme format in the history of your aunt's Facebook page. Oh God, Um, yes. The superhero movies of the year we had Ant Man, we had Avengers: Age of Ultron, and we also had this movie, The Fantastic Four. So all Avengers, off- um, all Marvel offerings. Mm. Do you remember 2015 being a particularly? I mean, I remember seeing Age of Ultron at the, the pictures, and uh, Ant Man as well. <clears throat> but I saw, I, I, I saw Ant Man. I think. Wasn't I it saw... a hell of a lot more manageable? Three,
1: three offerings a year. Three offerings, and two, and one of them's not even MCU. That was, that was yeah, but still a, a superhero movie. And how many MCU movies we got this year? One. One. And uh, do you know? Do you know what I? I, <clears throat> I, I, I quite like that because I like. I feel a bit more
0: relaxed. <laughs> I feel very relaxed. <coughs> uh, Marvel Comics in 2015 was an interesting year. The Spider Verse is in full swing. It started in October of 2014. Um, Peter Parker and an army of Spider-People Have to battle Morlan And his vampire of reality Jumping vampires I've written Ooh. down Reality humping vampires <laughs>
1: That's I, not I was looking at that
0: and I was like Oh man that would have That's been not so what much they did. Better. Um Yeah Spider-Verse massive Tons and tons of tie-ins um, And new characters It created it did of course Introduce us to Gwen Stacy of Earth-65, a spider-powered Gwen Stacy, um, who becomes uh, a popular little concept. Well, not she's not popular on the back of Spider-Verse, I don't think. The idea of her is 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 uh, exciting. And they spin her off into our own series, Spider-Gwen. Ooh, yes. becomes yeah. <clears throat> one of Marvel's most popular new characters. After 15 years, Marvel decides to shut down its line of of Ultimate Marvel Comics, which is the basis for the movie we're looking at today. Mm. Um, Waning popularity and sales are the reason. They launch a crossover, a mega company-wide crossover event called Secret Wars, named after the original Secret Wars of the 1980s that we've covered, in which the entire Marvel multiverse world faces extinction as realities crash into each other and destroy each other. When all is said and done, The Marvel Universe is destroyed and then reborn, but this time reborn with elements of the ultimate Marvel Universe bedded in to the timeline, namely Miles Morales and his family, the only popular character and his family. (laughs) And Marvel began publishing the first Star Wars expanded media since the Disney acquisition of Lucasfilm. They uh, lined up major comic book writers and artists to tackle the Star Wars characters for the first time. Really, previous tie-ins to um, movie movie projects like comic book a uh, comic book version of the Planet of the Apes or Alien mm. or whatever, yeah, they've been done, but not with like major major writers involved to this extent. Marvel Comics now getting the license because you know. Uh, Daddy Disney owns it. So they brought out um, a Star Wars ongoing monthly comic, which was set between the events of the first Star Wars movie and Empire Strikes Back, written by Jason Aaron of Avengers fame. Ooh. Um, they did Darth Vader series written by Kieran Gillen, my hometown boy from hmm. the same town as myself, and a Princess Leia series by the remarkable Mark Wade. Once the Marvel Universe is kind of rebooted after Secret Wars, we get to see a lot of what's called legacy characters, which is new characters kind of carrying the mantle of previously established characters. So mm. we have Sam Wilson as Captain America. We have Mars Morales as the new sort of a new version of Spider Man. with mm. uh, Gwen Stacy um, as a Spider Woman. Sort of. Um, We have um, the new Ms. Marvel and all that kind of stuff, which is a a bold new program by Marvel. And it went on for several years. Um, And then several characters, you know, they they reintroduced the the classic versions of the characters, but it was still Marvel putting a marker down and saying, we've got a lot of fresh, young characters to bring a bit of diversity to the Marvel universe. Let's go behind the page on the Fantastic Four as we look at this 2015 movie, Will um, The Fantastic Four marked the beginning of the Marvel Universe It's the comic that changed comic books and modern fiction, I believe, forever <clears throat> And this, this revolution is created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby The, the kind of the fathers and the foundation of the, of the Marvel Universe we, You might remember from, from episode 100, superhero comics were kind of old and dusty by the 1960s. Mm, we had these yeah. pre-war characters, Superman, yeah. Batman, Namor, the Human Torch, Captain America. <clears throat> they were all about these tough, strong, square-jawed men that fought for truth and justice and the American way and there wasn't a whole lot of characterization of these characters it was just you know archetypes doing good deeds and they were sold on the on the basis of you're going to see some amazing things a man's going to fly he's going to punch a tank <laughs> he's going to he's going to stop a whole army of people by blowing on them really hard it's going to be incredible <laughs> <coughs> Or there's this cool guy called Batman who's got this amazing costume and he's got these gadgets and this cape and he you know the the boom of popularity of superheroes during World War Two, but then they kind of ran their course. Mm. And they did because they they really swelled with the, the kind of the patriotism of being involved in, in the Second World War. And Hitler is like the most popular villain of the superhero the first superhero boom of the golden age. Mm. But then they became kind of unpopular and 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 we saw comic books in general suffered an awful lot of these pr attacks that we talked about and senate hearings (laughs) on how violent comic books were and how they led to sort of um the corruption of the youth uh there were book burnings in america and in the uk on uh, on comic books a lot was focused on the horror and the and the crime gangster themed comics but superheroes really took the brunt of that um the the seduction of the innocent alleged that there was kind of uh, immoral illicit and, and uh <coughs> illegal uh, uh, kind of uh, relationships mm. between captain america and bucky and batman and robin and it really drove down the popularity of superheroes um the comic book company that was not yet called marvel um it was called uh Timely Comics originally, and then Atlas Comics in the 50s. They just stopped making superhero comics, and they they went with sci-fi. Monsters, aliens, cowboys, um, love stories were a big thing, romance comics that Stanley was a big writer of. But but DC Comics, or or, or National Comics as it was called, um, Mm. in the 50s and 60s, they kept making Superman and Batman. They did, however, turn them into um, super childish family-friendly stories (laughs) there was no fighting there was no violence and it was all a lot of goofy misadventures um superman gets turned into a lion man batman (laughs) gets teleported to mars to teach them how to fight crime the the little martians and Batman travels back in time and has an adventure with the court of King Arthur. All very just, yeah, not what we'd recognize today as Superman and Batman stories. Stanley was the editor at Timely Comics, writing and editing monster comics, alien comics, cowboy romance. And he said at the time, I didn't like what the publisher Martin Goodman wanted me to do. He felt comics were for young kids and stupid adults. (laughs) What a thing to say. (laughs) That's your business. That's that's your bread and butter and you hate it. They just like the slop, the piggies. (laughs) He used to say to me, remember, Stan, don't use words of more than two syllables. Don't use too much dialogue. Get a lot of action and don't worry about characterization." And I was doing that, and the books were selling well, and I had a steady job, but it wasn't satisfying because I really think of myself as a reasonably good writer. I like to write characters, so I really wanted to quit and do something else. Stan Lee, before Fantastic Four issue one, wants to quit comics. He's thinking about going into advertising or marketing or something like that. Jack Kirby said... I had to do something different. The monster stories have their limitations. You can just do so many of them, and then it becomes a monster book of the month after month. So there had to be a switch, because the times times weren't exactly conducive to good sales. So I felt the idea was to come up with new stuff all the time. And in other words, there had to be a blitz. And we do need to talk about Jack Kirby here. We talk an awful lot about... Mm. Stanley on this podcast because he's across so many of the characters we talk about. Intentionally or not, because Kirby had fallings and fallings out and separations and legal battles of Marvel Comics, um, and, and Stanley remained attached to the company for all time. Like Stanley is kind of held as the guy that created everything, and Jack Kirby is kind of diminished in terms of what people talk about. And certainly by Marvel, you know, every comic book is presented by Stan Lee, not presented by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Um, but again, it's because he sued them a bunch of times and, you know, he fell out with them in illegal battles and all of that. Um, the narrative that history remembers <coughs> and that modern Marvel and Disney remember is that Stan Lee created the Marvel Universe. Mm. Um, so it doesn't like deny Jack Kirby, he gets a little byline, but he doesn't actively acknowledge him. Uh, like it acknowledges Stanley, who is their spokesperson and was for many, many, many years. Jack Kirby is is the most influential storyteller in the history of American comic books, hands down. His art style set the tone for literally every single superhero comic that came after his work. And that begins in the thirties, forties, but it really kicks off in the sixties. His work is 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 really incredible and dynamic and powerful. Someone on Twitter shared a panel of Iron Man fighting Namor the Submariner the other day, and I, it's Jack Kirby drawing it. I saved it and I stared at it, and I'll I'll send it to you. It's incredible. Please do it's there's no words. It's all the way he's able to draw. It's an it's an odd thing to think about with comic books. Obviously, these are still. Moments in time because it's a picture and it doesn't move Kirby is so great you it, it it creates the the overwhelming illusion of motion and kinetic energy you can you can feel the the panels you can hear them you can it it feels like you're watching a a, a bit of a bit of film or video footage or something it's incredible the way he draws hmm the, the the Marvel method of making comic books um creates a lot of uh, um <clears throat> grey areas over who created what and who was responsible of what. The the, the Marvel method of, of, of making a comic book is normally because if you remember from our episode one hundred, like the off there was no staff, there was just Stan Lee and a bunch of artists. <laughs> so he had to write all these comics on his own. For a long period of time before they got more more writers in, before they could afford more writers, and the way that you do that is that Stanley would have a conversation with the artist. You're doing a, a cowboy comic. This other guy next to you is doing an alien comic, and then a monster comic, and then a a, a romance comic, right? And so he'd have a conversation with you as the as the cowboy artist, mm. and he'd tell you, "I want the story to be about um, a cowboy in black. He rides into town. Um, he goes to the bar." Um, he gets into a conflict with a cowboy that wears red. That um, they go and go outside and have a shootout, and uh, in the end, the guy in the black hat wins. And then you go off and draw that out. You know you've got to fill twenty panels. You draw it. You come up with all the bits in between, like and in, in, in terms of what happens where, and then you bring that back to to Stanley, and he goes, "Great, I'll write all the dialogue, all the words, and then we've got a comic." That's how. If he's if he's not having to write five six seven eight nine ten scripts, he's just having conversations. Then you bring him the artwork, and he he goes, "Oh, that guy says this, that guy says that. I see what's happening there. That guy says I'm going to shoot you." That's the Marvel method. It's based on efficiency and eco- economy of time. Hmm. Because of that, it leaves things open to interpretation as to who came up with what. If Stan Lee says to Jack Kirby. Uh, the Fantastic Four are going to fight uh, Prince Namor in this issue, and there's going to be a big tidal wave, and then a fight at the end. Like mm. Jack Kirby's doing a huge amount of creation in that in that in that instance because he's not got a lot to go on. So Kirby obviously does a lot a lot of of writing and creating um, uh, when it comes to all the comics he's involved in. Timely Comics publisher Martin Goodman uh, is this is how we begin. Okay. With the Fantasy Four, he's he's playing golf with Jack Lieberwitz, who is the publisher of, essentially National uh, DC Comics. Yeah, National Periodical or National Comics or whatever. And Lieberwitz brags about DC's new hit success comic, the Justice League of America. I can see where this is going. They decided that they're going to try superheroes again. And they've created new versions of their old wartime characters, the Flash and the Green Lantern. And they're going to put them all together. And they did, and it's very successful. Martin Goodman was a trend follower, not a trendsetter. Mm-hmm. So he knows that Justice League's got strong sales. So he tells his wife's cousin, Stan Lee, go create me a Justice League comic. We're going to do superheroes again, right? So so go do his superheroes again. Like get those Get those old Get those old characters of ours. Uh, Name all the Submariner And the Human Torch And do a Captain America Just do a comic around that And Stanley writes in in, in his book I remember my wife Joan said to me You know Stan If you want to quit Before you do Why don't you do one book The way you would like to do it The worst that will happen Is Martin will fire you I remember this And you want to quit anyway so coincidentally at that time martin had uh, found out this thing about dc comics and they booked just america and so i was told to go and do a book about a group of superheroes i figured this is my chance to do it my way i came up with something called the fantastic four about four superheroes but instead of making them heroes that wore costumes i figure i'm not going to give them costumes because i always felt that if i had a superpower why would i want to put on a costume First of all, I'm too much of a show off. I want everyone to know it was me. I'd never wear a mask. If I could jump over a building, why would I need to put on a colourful costume? I just jump over the building. I don't need a costume. (laughs) Word for word. (laughs) Like the interview. I I hear that
1: in the voice of uh, Frank Costanza from Seinfeld.
0: (laughs) I tried to make them real characters living Mm. in the real world. The hero wasn't a perfect guy. He was a fella. He's talking about Reed here. He was a fella like me that talks too much, and he's always boring people because whenever he explains anything, he goes on and on forever, and one of the other guys was always saying, well, you shut up. The obligatory teenager in the group, instead of just robbing with Batman, he runs around and fights the bad guys with them. Mm. I made this teenager a guy who didn't want to be a superhero, He was like I was when I was a teenager. He wanted to go out with girls and ride around in his car. (laughs) And the girl, instead of the obligatory female who always had to be rescued and doesn't know the hero's secret identity, she was the hero's fiancée. And she also had a superpower, so she was a member of the team as well. And the fourth guy was a monster. (laughs) Something happened to him, and he became very ugly and very strong. And I used him for both pathos and humour because he was always fighting with the others, always insulting them and yelling at them. He was bad-tempered because he was a monster. And the teenager was always picking on the monster. I got a lot of comedy out of that duo. I called him The Thing and he became far and away the most popular member of the group. Stan Lee on the early onings of The Fantastic Four. Brilliant. Um, Jack Kirby... In every interview, so here's how it goes: If you ask Stanley who created the Fantastic Four, he'll tell you that story, and then he will say he'll talk about the incredible contributions that Jack Kirby had to the to the to the characters. If you ask Jack Kirby who created the Fantastic Four, he'll say me, all me, not Stanley. Stanley did nothing. <laughs> That's just his mentality, and his. And yeah. we'll get to it, but he, it's worth paying attention to what he says. He recalls the creation of fantastic four very differently there was a 1970 fanzine interview um and jack kirby took credit for the main characters and ideas of the fantastic four stating it was my idea it was my idea to do it the way it was my idea to develop it the way it was i'm not saying stan had nothing to do with it of course he did we talked things out um years later he would he would get quite more specific about this and challenge Stanley's version of events. And in 1990, he put another interview out and basically said that Stanley was a liar, mm. uh, an outright lie. Um, <clears throat> and the interviewer himself of that interview says his statement needs to be viewed with a lot of caution. Um, Jack Kirby claims he came up with the idea for the Fantastic Four on his own in Marvel's offices and that Stanley merely added dialogue after the story was penciled. That's the Marvel method. Hmm. Kirby also sought to establish more credibility um, by by pointing out that the characters were drawn by him and were essentially copies of previous characters he created for DC Comics in the 1950s. (laughs) The Challengers of the Unknown. Hmm. He said, if you notice the uniforms, they're the same. I always gave them a skin tight uniform with a belt. The challenges in the FF have a minimal decoration. It's the same. The problem with Jack Kirby, I find, when we're talking about who created what, is mm. that Jack Kirby thinks that the, the the drawing of the character, the look and the powers of the character is what made that team special. And he is wrong. <laughs> What made the Fantastic Four special is the dialogue, and it is the characterisation that Mm. comes through the words. There's obviously wonderful, fantastic artwork that he did, and the, the design of the characters is incredible, especially the thing. But he, just because he's an artist, only thinks that the art is what's important. That's what I tend to find with Jack. Um and he doesn't seem to think... Because to me, there's, uh, having read all those original 60s stuff, there's no two ways about it. It's the dialogue that is just incredible. It's also notable that the Fantastic Four... Ooh, something fell over. <laughs> what the was that? Uh, uh, let's oh, not edit that out. We never had that before on a podcast. Very strange. It's also notable in the Fantastic Four's first adventure. It's 1961. It depicts a team of adventurers... Three men and a woman, led by a professor, travelling to Earth's centre and encountering giant monsters, Uh, whilst there's a human protagonist who's also from the surface world. This is the plot of the 1959 movie, Journey to the Centre of the Earth. Uh, It's a direct inspiration. There's no getting around that. Marvel did this all the time, and that's just how it is. Like, Ant-Man, Giant-Man comes about because of movies like The Incredible Shrinking Man and The Human Mm. Colossus and... There we go uh, what was groundbreaking though and, and, and hugely popular and hugely different was the characterization the the fantastic four were not these traditional stoic heroic characters as Stanley says Reed Richards the lead is a boring blowhard that everyone keeps telling is boring and talking too much and no one can understand him Johnny's an insufferable kid Ben is is angry and grumpy at all his friends. Um, Sue's different because she... Can't, how is Sue that different? Um, Sue's not that much different. The characterization of the women is terrible, I'm afraid. It just always is. <laughs> this team are, are fighting and arguing and insulting each other through the whole issue. The, the readers had never, ever seen anything like it. It just blew them away. Everyone is arguing with each other. The good guys are arguing with each other that had never been done before stan and jack wrote creatively together wrote drew created 102 issues in a row and six annuals of the fantastic four um <clears throat> and it's just uh an incredible what is one of the, it's probably the greatest run in the history of comic books um during that time we discover underground world of monsters the whole marvel universe is fleshed out in these kind of 102 issue series mm. the scrolls the kree galactus the silver surfer uatu the watcher the negative zone annihilus blastar black panther wakanda atlantis it's just bam bam bang, one after the other and some hugely important moments for the marvel universe occur very early on in in the run because the early issues include the appearance of Namor the Submariner And later on the original Human Torch Timely comics characters from the 1930s and 40s So by resurrecting these forgotten World War II characters Lee and Kirby say These brand new comics we've just invented They have a history and a legacy that goes back decades Mm. And and they create the bigger, wider, shared universe of superheroes. The Marvel Universe now dates back to 1939. That's mm. a massive, massive moment in Marvel's history. Once Stanley and Jack Kirby leave the Fantastic Four, the comic struggles with, with um, its sales and its popularity, especially in the... Because they leave in the mid-70s, and it's a real struggle. But the comic has revitalized in the 1980s thanks to a um, a writer-artist called John Byrne. John Byrne rose to prominence with Chris Claremont on the X-Men, and he'd just finished delivering the greatest Marvel story of all time, the Dark Phoenix saga. Ah. His first post-X-Men work is taken over the Fantastic Four as both the writer and the artist of the series, giving it a real singular creative vision. He worked on the Fantastic Four for six years and that period is widely regarded as a second golden age for the Fantastic Four after Lee and Kirby. Um, He made lots of really cool key changes, but he did emphasise female characters a lot more. She-Hawk joins the team and um, that starts a long-standing kind of history of Shulky and the FF. Um, And he starts to write the uh, Sue Storm character as being perhaps the most powerful member of the team. Um, Expanding her force field abilities To kind of the very logical and dangerous conclusions And he's the one that renames her From the Invisible Girl to the Invisible Woman So that emphasis is quite key in the 1980s But the next significant period of time For the Fantastic Four Is 2004 When Marvel releases its uh, reimagined version of the team The Ultimate Fantastic Four Ultimate Marvel, as we've talked about before on the show, is a project that Marvel put together in the year 2000 to create a brand new universe to allow writers and artists to present modern, updated, younger versions of Marvel's classic characters. It already had great success with Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men, which had both helped to save the company and capture new, younger readers during a time of turmoil for Marvel Comics. Ultimate Fantastic Four was originally set to be created and written by fan-favourite writer Grant Morrison. Morrison had become a superstar thanks to their work on Justice League of America and the X-Men, and they were really well-known for their love of twisted science fiction. A lot of us were salivating at the thought of Grant Morrison (laughs) doing a modern (laughs) version of the Fantastic Four. Sadly... I, I love I love their work. <clears throat> it Great. never it never came to be. Oh, um, before it could be realised, um, Morrison was offered a big exclusive contract with DC Comics and departed the Marvel Universe. Instead, in a bit of a panic, because they'd already announced the project and now there was no writer, Marvel turned to Brian Michael Bendis, who had written and created Ultimate Spider Man. Hmm. and Mark Miller, who had written and created the Ultimate X-Men, and had, right, you're both working together. Ah, I see. Create an updated version of the Fantastic Four. Miller handled the high-concept cinematic plots. Bendis wrote the script and the dialogue and the characterization. And an artist called Adam Kubert brought the new team to life. So Gone was the... Institutions, the classic institutions Of Marvel that have been around Since the 1960s Gone is the married couple of Reed and Sue Gone is Reed, the the grey-haired Professor Gone is Ben Grimm, the grouchy old Uncle chomping a cigar Gone is the, the space race Of the 1960s Battling the commies Instead, Ultimate Fantastic Four Is a team of young College aged kids Dealing with cutting edge Sci-fi tech Something that this movie lifts wholesale And takes for its plot You can always drop us a line Here at Marvel vs Marvel By uh, Sending us an email to Marvel vs Marvel at gmail.com Or indeed by tweeting to us And following us on Twitter At Marvel vs Will what's in the mailbag this time Oh, we got some juicy ones. First of all,
1: a musing muse said, even though it isn't a good movie by any means, I've always come to Fantastic's defense by comparing the majority of the movie to an episode of The Twilight Zone. Okay. Imagine if you, yeah, I, I, now, this, this could be interesting. Imagine, if you will, the story of Reed Richards, a brilliant young man who's been working on a scientific breakthrough for most of his life. He gets recruited by a, re, a research foundation that provides him an escape from his cold home life. He grows fond of his collaborators, even falling in love with one of them. The device based on his research is a success, but it's seized by the untrustworthy government. Reed pressures his team into an impromptu mission. As a result, he is responsible for Victor's death and the ghastly mutations of his childhood best friend, his lover, her brother, and himself. They are doomed to be government test subjects, possibly for the rest of their lives. The episode ends as Rod Serling pontificates on how altruism, tainted by ego, could not only backfire on ourselves, but others and the innocents. Unfortunately, Reed escapes Area 51, and the film takes a spectacular plunge into the abysmal botch job you two have spotlighted.
0: Well, sure. I mean, I think we go back to the early days of this podcast, I do say that the... The, the original 60s Marvel comics were The black mirror of their day mm, Twisted indeed. sci-fi stories Based on fears ripped from the headlines Absolutely
1: As is Fantastic Four uh, Fantastic's just awful Ben's gone for so much of the film That people like Will would have assumed that the Fantastic Four Were Reed, Sue, Johnny and Victor Taking taking the piss out of the final fight Is pointless since I'm sure Leaving and coming back from taking a piss might last longer Lastly, I'm sure if it wasn't for Justice League 2017, Fantastic would be the go-to example of a studio interfering with a director's grim and gritty interpretation of an optimistic superhero comic. I do have a question for Mr. Hollywood, though. Even though extended reshoots for superhero movies are common, is it true that Fantastic was the first where it became newsworthy? I think we covered that. Yes, they did become newsworthy. Was it the first,
0: though? Hmm...
1: I don't know. There must have been. There must have been others, like Not Stanley sure.
0: Kubrick stuff. Maybe no. The first superhero movie. Oh, first it superhero common. movie. I mean, uh, it have been. No,
1: I think it could could be. I can't think of any others uh, before
0: that. Should put out. Thanks for writing in, amusing moose. It should point out that every time he's written fantastic, he has written Fantaforstic, yeah. with the four <laughs> replacing the a. Like the terrible movie poster tells us it should be. Yeah, it, I didn't like
1: it. Next up, David Fan said, I remember seeing reviews before seeing the movie and also didn't want to see it. After watching this movie, I thought it wasn't called FF and was an independent, non-Marvel DC property. It would have been okay. Tweak some names and powers to not be a total FF ripoff and would have been. it would have been a good effort. Thing I liked least was the portrayal of Ben Grimm, not Jamie Bell's fault. But I don't know. I don't care what anybody says. Doctor Doom was cool in the movie. Not sure what his powers are exactly, but I like it. Reminded me of the big Hero 6 villain. All in all, don't think this movie deserved a single-digit rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and the cast was a great selection of talent, in my opinion. Thank you, David Fan.
0: I can't believe we've got someone standing up for this movie. I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that requ- that, that deserved a single-digit rating more than this. <laughs> well, we'll get to my opinion later, Mister Mike. I think this is sorry one of the worst movies I have ever ever seen. It's, it's
1: I, I'll get into it, but I think it was very bland. It was just it was dull, but it was some good moments. But not enough to to, to, to anyway. I'll I'll get to my opinion a bit later, Mister Mike. Lord said this film promised so much. Josh Trank, the director, had just made the astonishing foul footage superhero flick Chronicle, and the cast was stacked: Miles Teller from Whiplash, Jamie Bell from Billy Elliot, Michael B. Jordan from Fruitville Station, who also debuted as Adonis Creed that same year, and Kate Mara, not to mention Toby Bell as Doom. As uh, sorry, Tony Kebble, not Tony Bell. What am I saying? As as a different take on the Fantastic Four, it could have been it could have really been something. I'm not sure what, what went wrong. Maybe it was the poor characterization or the lacklustre plot. Maybe it was just a choppy edit, but it turned out to be one of the worst movies of the year. Hell, even Adam Sandler's Pixels was more entertaining.
0: i go with that, and that's a terrible movie.
1: Yeah. There's so much in this movie that doesn't work, perhaps the most egregious of which would, was having Ben adoptive, adopt his It's Clovering Time catchphrase from an abusive brother. Yeah. 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 The other thing that really sticks out is the massive time jump in the third act. One moment, the Fantastic Four are busting out of a top-secret military facility, and the next scene, it's a year later, and they're coming back together. What happened in the interim? It feels like a whole chunk of footage was excised at the last minute. This film has none of the charm or the humour of the Tim Story movies. It doesn't even capture the characters as well as the infamous 1994 movie.
0: And that is saying something. I'm not. Um, thank you for writing in, uh, Mr. Mike Lloyd. Mike Lloyd. Mike Lloyd used to be a brilliant record shop where I used to get all my records and kid tickets from. <laughs> so I, I long for them. Um, I don't like time. I'm not a fan of time jumps in general. It it, prov- it provokes a lot of disassociation in me. Mm. Um, TV shows will do it sometimes. Um, I I like the final season of Parks and Rec. You leap ahead into the future. The same with New Girl, and I really just dislike it. It, it, it. I I feel like once I've once you're not showing me the characters and they've gone off and lived these lives without me, I'm not interested anymore.
1: Okay, yeah, I get you there, mate. Adam Joyce said, "I think the wife sums it up best when she said to me they made an action film with no action." <laughs> We've all heard tales on how it was heavily re-edited. I'm not sure how it was deemed better to have the second scene recap the entire first scene rather than having the scene of the thing fighting a tank shown in the trailer.
0: Yeah, what happened to that bit? Yeah,
1: I I was like, oh, I'm interested now when that happened. It's like, oh, okay, we're not doing that now. I remember the week this came out, I heard a couple of guys from Empire on the radio in a general film segment. When asked about this film, one tried to be evasive as his review was in the issue due out that week, but you got a good grasp of his feelings when he stated something to the effect of the power sets were written for a more camp format that doesn't translate, translate well to a more gritty tone. I think he's wrong, but this film isn't something I could hold up as evidence of that. However, this franchise... Needs a degree of levity, uh, levity that's painfully absent here I'm no Hollywood writer But introducing your villain Within with 15 minutes left of The film feels like something you should avoid As it doesn't oh. give you a lot of time To build them up as a threat Massively,
0: believe. massively
1: If they wanted a villain They would cause the four no issues Then Mole Man would have been a better option surely Also there wouldn't have been a backlash If they tried to change his name Like they did with Doom Because no one cares about Mole Man Granted, Mole Man wouldn't have been a big box office drawer, but it's not like this film made a ton of cash.
0: Mole Man is originally in this movie. He is. He is. I, looked, I, I did Harvey, look this up. Dr. Harvey Allen was yeah. originally Dr. Harvey Elder, yes. who is yeah. Mole Man. And then yeah. during all the reshoots, they just decided to get rid of that. <laughs> I'm trying to remember much about the film
1: itself rather than it being dull. I remember there being some obvious reshoots with the Sue's hair changing to a <laughs> wig a few times. Once which happens as she walks through a door. I remember oh, yeah. Reed I didn't spot that, but bloody hell. I remember Reed not being allowed to helm his own project much like the previous sequel, in a story beat beat that seemed forced and unbelievable, much like the previous sequel. On the plus side, I'm not sure of the uh, of a good ending to that statement. Can we just agree The Incredibles is the best fantastic film fantastic four film we've had to this
0: point? <laughs> Thank know. you for writing in, uh, Adam Joyce. Yeah, I I must admit the 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 Incredibles irks me because hmm. it's theft. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm it's just yeah. clear theft from Stanley and Jack Kirby, and that irks me a little bit. It they are very well put together movies, and they are, you know, they're they're great and everything, uh, but they they do slightly irk me. Um, I get that, mate. I can remember watching the credits thinking, any minute now there's going to be a credit that says, with special thanks to the works of... No. No, no, that's a shame. Phil
1: Morley said... The young Reed stuff was all right, but other than that, I thought it was joyless, half-baked, sure of a movie. I must prefer the naughties ones, though, in some ways. I think the 1994 is my favourite. The 1994 one at least had the closest we got to a proper Doctor Doom in
0: the movies. If you're not sure what people are talking about, in, in 1994, there was an incredibly like low-budget Ashcan um, movie that was made only to keep the rights alive with the production mm. company and was never intended to release and was never released. Um, yeah. I would like to see that. I think I've, I've seen clips. I, I think what we're going to do is save it for when the MCU version of the Fantastic Four comes out, and then we've got something to tie in, haven't we? That would make a lot of
1: sense. Ash Reeves said nowhere near as bad as everyone said. It's worse,
0: Ash. It's worse than everyone says.
1: <laughs> yes, it was incredibly flawed and messy, to say the least, due to studio interference. I actually worked at the visual effects company that worked on it at the time. But I thought there were some really good ideas in it. The dark tone and the sort of Cronenberg-style body horror angle of those people describing their abilities was a really interesting approach. It's right, sh- did that happen? Was there Cronenberg-esque body horror in a this bit, movie? A little bit, a little bit. There was. With the stretching and the guy turning into rocks. Yeah, there was that, but not That movie. happens in the other movies! Yeah, but it was done in a more horrific way. it? was, was done it? in a way that's frightening. No, it was campy in the other ones. Anyway, it's just a shame we never saw the director's intended
0: vision of the film. I so- think it's better we didn't, Ash, because <laughs> his intended vision was apparently darker and more morose than this turd I had to watch <laughs> twice, the second time I've seen it.
1: Toby Kebble even apparently said there's a really good cut of this film that no one is ever going to see. He's an actor, th- what does he know? I also thought that Doctor Doom, while not comic accurate, was absolutely terrifying as a villain. That scene towards the end when he was walking down the corridor was horrifying. So yeah, as I say, very messy, I accept but had some really interesting ideas. It's far, far from the worst superhero movie ever, as many were saying.
0: No, it's not. It is the worst superhero. I think it's, it's up there with Justice League, and Justice League is a better made film. Yeah, I would definitely say Justice League is a better made film. I have film. to say, though, defending a movie because you're certain there's a better version of it in the past... It's wild. <laughs> I've never come across that before. You can't... Oh, this, this, isn't, this isn't too bad, because apparently it was going to be much better, but then it wasn't. Well, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? <laughs>
1: Finally, Peter J wrote in, I don't really know if this is a good or a bad movie. It's probably someone's favourite movie, right? I just know that it clearly wasn't created for me. But just because it wasn't for me doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Look, I really like the first 10 minutes and this if this had uh, if this had been a movie about the wacky antics of two 13 year old kids and the mental shiz they invented then I'd probably have been on board with it. I also think it's an Ultimate Fantastic Four film and I don't know a lot about the Ultimate Universe and to be honest after watching this I'd probably not go out of my way to look into it. I'll just wait for MVM to take me through it in the bonus episodes. I quite like Doctor Doom as a villain but I'm not a fan of this version. Again. Though this was not create though this was not created for me. Dark, grim, and gritty, and not for me. Good actors, good effect, it's kind of okay. It's probably a really average movie. If this had been called the brilliant <clears throat> Baxter Children and was just a fantastic four knockoff, then I think maybe people would have received it better. But who knows? The real question is, does it really deserve a lowish percentage score than Condor Man? <laughs> have you ever seen
0: Condor Man? No, but that sounds brilliant. Condor Man is uh like an old Disney live-action movie about Mm. a comic book artist who does a comic book called Condor Man that gets Mm. involved in some sort of international espionage thing by, like, a mistaken identity thing. He's the only person that the spies will talk to. So he demands that the intelligence agency make him into his superhero character, Condor (laughs) Man. Build me a super suit that flies, and I want to fly. It's a flying... Yeah. glider or something. So I remember seeing it as a kid. It was yeah. But it's a knockabout mad. comedy. That
1: sounds mad. But what do I know? I am just here waiting for you to go down a pulp tangent and cover the doc savage movie. <laughs> as always, you are consistently making my work week a whole lot better. Gents,
0: have a cracking new year. Thank you ever so much Peter J. Um we have I well I I've discussed I discussed things with Will, but he doesn't remember. Um we discussed in the past um, that there is an opportunity to look at pulp characters, the the characters that are the the the, the fathers of the modern superhero, mm. and um, and 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 you know you can see the direct line. I mean, strictly speaking, the Phantom could you could argue is the very first superhero, but there's a lot of those characters, those pulp characters: the Phantom, the Shadow, Tarzan, Doc Savage, that. Um, have massively influenced Superman and Batman and the rest. That could be something for us to do, a project in the future. Um, Thank you, Peter J. He talks there about, as always, improving his working week. And uh, uh, Pete's a big supporter of ours, massive supporter on Patreon. Um, It's the place that keeps this podcast going. And right now you're missing out every month on Patreon for Pete's like people... For people like Peter J, we release an amazing bonus shows packed full of Marvel stories and history and fun. And if you're not with us on Patreon, you're missing out on those big shows that cover things like the Infinity Gauntlet and Kang Dynasty, the Spider Verse, the Young Avengers, tons, tons more. Um, and sometimes, will it's like it's even better than the main show.
1: Mmm, absolutely.
0: The bonus episodes get us to those deep dives into the stories, and I know you get to discover incredible concepts and characters through it. Um, and we've got a big, great crew on Patreon, and let's give a massive shout out to our wrecking crew Peter J, Brandon Schmigilski, Zach Thomas, Baster Beer Sam, Bindy, Sue P, Jack Davis, and David Fan. Top, top supporters for us on Patreon They they don't just give to get They give even more they, There's the top level You can top out at £10 pledge per month And get all the bonus content And then there's the Wrecking Crew That double that pledge to keep us on the air We thank them massively Everyone that subscribes on Patreon Is part of our community here On Marvel vs Marvel They help to build the podcast they keep us on the air we reserve our very best episodes just for them. Um, in December, we had a full-length bonus episode that will—I um, know—is one of your favorites. It was called *The Squadron Supreme*, and it was—it was Marvel Comics getting into the deconstruction of the superhero, mm-hmm. um, a, a comic book series that influenced everything from *Watchmen* to *The Dark Knight Returns*. Like, what are your thoughts on on that incredible bonus show we did in December?
1: It was it was good. I mean, it was a depressing story, really, but it was it just it just felt so rich. Like this was this was the starting point of very <coughs> adult, very existential comic book writing that would be, of course, uh, really taken on board with the Watchmen and uh, Dark Knight Returns and everything else that followed. I mean, it
0: was just it was just incredible, incredible. It takes place in the, in the Marvel multiverse, but in a parallel universe to um, to the the uh, the Marvel universe where the Avengers live. And in fact, it's a universe made up of characters that are meant to represent Superman and Batman and Green Lantern and The Flash. And it's interesting seeing those characters go through the ringer. Great story. Um, And this month's Deep Dive is uh, spinning out of this show. We're going to take a look at one of the greatest Fantastic Four stories of all time. And maybe, Will, the greatest Doctor Doom story of all time. It's called Unthinkable. Dr. Doom renounces science and embraces dark magic like never before, making him more powerful than he's ever been. Striking a deal with a cabal of demons, Dr. Doom forges enchanted armor from human remains, sends Reed and Sue's child to hell, and begins torturing the Fantastic Four in unthinkable ways. Um, That is dropping soon on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel there's tons of benefits of joining us on patreon as we said at the top of the show adverts are coming in 2024 we have no choice but to sell our souls to so the commercial demons <laughs> start having adverts during the show at some point to keep us going if you hate adverts you're in luck Because on Patreon you can get early access to each and every episode and all completely ad-free for just £5 a month. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. We know times are tough and that's exactly why you can support us on Patreon for as little as £3 a month. Less than the price of a Starbucks. Less than the price of a beer. You can't get it any cheaper. One payment once a month and it can help keep us going ...help keep this show on the air and in exchange we give everybody access to Obscure Marvel each and every month... ...where we dive into the trash cans of the Marvel Universe to bring you the most ridiculous and obscure characters and stories in the history of Marvel... This month in January, it was Zarco the Tomorrow Man. We stepped into the uh, the new year on the first of the month with the Man of Tomorrow, Zarco. How do you enjoy that one, Will? That that was just mad. I mean,
1: I always enjoy obscure Marvel, but this one just begged sanity. It was just more trapdoor stuff when you don't if, when you're in the future. <laughs>
0: There's so many trapdoors. Why is there trapdoors <laughs> written into the future? I don't get it. You don't need that. And we've discovered that Thor is like the most ridiculous Marvel character oh, in the yeah, yeah. And he has the most ridiculous stories. And we uh, bring all the ridiculousness to you every month on patreon.com slash Marvel. Please dig deep and support us. Help keep us on the air. And on the other side of this break, our deep dive into the Fantastic Four from 2015.